0: In March, news, a Singapore court had sentenced an 18-year-old American to six strokes with a bamboo cane swept round the world.
1: It's the first I've heard of it. I'll look into it.
0: And Michael Fay, who insists he was tortured into confessing that he spray-painted cars, was instantly caught in the middle of a raging debate.
1: Yes, says one. People should be responsible for their actions. Let the vandal take his beating, says another. If anybody just put themselves in this position... I don't think anybody would want their kid or someone close to them to be beaten with a cane.
0: After President Clinton personally appealed for leniency, Singapore reduced the sentence from six lashes to four. But that wasn't much consolation for Michael Fay.
1: I was bent over halfway. I mean, my back was bent in a 90 degree, and I was cuffed, um, buckled like this. And he's whipping it as he's going on on each step. and you hear the whip? And yes, you, yes, I can. Mm-hmm. And on the third, third step, he strikes, and he cuts open your buttocks, and there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain.
0: Throughout the incident, Singapore insisted its strict laws
1: made it one of the safest nations on earth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard to a very special edition of Human Events Sunday Special, where we're going to be discussing something that I like to call the Singapore option. and. You may have seen this going around on Twitter all this week it's been the debate has been raging on this idea of why does Singapore and certainly many other asian countries but definitely Singapore seems to have these luxurious uh, airports incredible infrastructure amazing downtowns just a, an absolute jewel in the South China Sea and the question is why don't we have those things well a lot of people, including conservative commentator Matt Walsh, friend of mine, decided to say that it's because Singapore beats their criminals and Singapore executes drug traffickers. And of course, most famously, we remember the case of Michael Fay back in the 1990s, who was caned four times—not six—sentenced to six, reduced to four, for vandalizing over 18 cars. It was 50 acts of vandalism total. He pled guilty. He was spray painting. Doing all sorts of things which by the way you're told not to do so we went and looked up what happened to michael faye how's he doing now what's his life like well guess what he returned to the united states he went back to college and he now runs a successful food and beverage business all thanks to caning and so to to talk through these issues and go through it i want to bring on a former colleague of mine at Human Events, and currently the senior counsel at the Internet Accountability Project, my good friend, Will Chamberlain. Will, thanks so much for finally joining the show that you, by the way, helped create. (laughs) That's correct. Thanks for having me on, Jack. I appreciate it. Yeah. So the behind the scenes of this is that when Will was publisher over at Human Events, he gave me a ringy ding ding one time and said, hey, Jack, you should start this like video podcast kind of thing. And I said, do you think anyone will watch it? And you're like, I think so. Let's see. And here we are.
0: What a year and a half later. Yeah. Something like something like that. You've, You've you've Done really, really well. So, sort of a little, a little bit sad. I can't be a part of it, but um, you know. Ah, well, well you I know,
1: the, it. There, you know things, things, oh, and, and things have a way of changing too, sometimes. Yes. But um, but will you know? Walk me through this. Um, when we see the success of something like Singapore, I mean, I remember if you go back to the '60s, Singapore, it, it's like a backwater port. I mean, it's 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 nothing. It's it's just sort of like a little dollop just kind of hung off the edge of Malaysia, you know, it's a city that, you know, nothing nothing necessarily wrong with it, but it certainly isn't this worldwide phenomenon that we talk about now. How did Singapore go from that to this?
0: I mean, you really have uh, incredible statesmanship. I mean, Singapore is a, a testament to the value of having really, really talented statesmen. Um, Basically, Lee Kuan Yew, who was the founder, effectively, of Singapore as an independent country um, and president for a very long time, I think, he, or prime minister, rather. He was prime minister for something like 30 years, and his son is currently prime minister of the country, um, was one of the most talented and brilliant statesmen of the modern era. And as a result, he took a, a very, very tiny postage stamp of a country that was, yeah, as you say, something of a backwater. And through his leadership and wise policy and the town industry, of the Singaporean people turned it into um, one of the places that one is the, has one of the highest GDP per capita's in the entire world is incredibly wealthy, a beautiful, safe, incredible place to live. Um, and that isn't done by, you know, adhering to like a libertarian utopia or anything else. It's a it's a number of different um, sound policies, but one of them well, includes was being it, very, was very tough on crime.
1: Was it was it done through social policies? Was it done through handouts? Was it done through improving everyone's economic standing? Was it done through uh, critical race theory? because, of course, you know, Singapore is a diverse country. It is a, certainly a multicultural country in a sense. I mean, they have Malays, they have Indians, they have uh, Hindus, they have uh, and then and then predominantly uh, Han Chinese. But, you know, it's certainly not a homogenous society. So was it done through uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and critical race theory and and handouts and reparations? That's how they did it, right?
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't say that's exactly how they did it. I mean, there is uh, Singapore is a very, very diverse place and was um, during when Lee Kuan Yew was taking power. And part of his skill was managing the various diverse coalitions. Uh, to form a a very, very stable government, incorporating them all into his government. Um, But that was done not necessarily as, a you know, based on the buzzwords of diversity makes us stronger. It's sort of, that's a way to tamp down ethnic strife. He always saw that as, how do we keep this place as peaceful peaceful and safe, as strong as possible? And simply excluding one large faction from the government was always going to create a problem. Um, But I think you know, it is to be fair. To be fair, I mean Lee Kuan Yew was not some radical libertarian. There's plenty of social welfare in Singapore, um, but there's also an enormous amount of economic freedom, and there is, uh, a, as I said before, extreme you know toughness when it comes to crime, vandalism, um, harsh punishments, and punishing things that we wouldn't think to punish, uh, like spinning gum out on the streets.
1: Right. And of course, that's I I think most people do think of that. They say you can't spit gum out on the street. Um, I've I've pulled some up here. Producer Angelo has thrown some together. Um, Small items like candy wrappers are fined 300. I'm not sure if that's dollars or U.N. the first for a first time offense, Uh, longer, larger. If you throw a bottle on the ground that you're drinking, um, that's considered defiance against Singaporean law and requires a court appearance. Uh, penalties penalties include corrective work orders where the offenders clean up a specified area while while wearing bright green luminous vests. Of course, the chewing gum is the famous one. Uh, ultimately, began their operations of their MRT, which is a five, uh, five billion dollar project. And vandals started putting gum on door sensors, and of course, the rest is history. First time offenders, that's a one thousand dollar fine. Uh, this this is. Very interesting. But also, Will, can you walk us through some of the drug laws of Singapore? Do you have it there?
0: Um, I don't I don't have it on me, but I I can tell you off the top of my head. uh, The the drug laws in Singapore are extremely uh, punitive in the sense that if you are caught possessing an even a very, very small amount of heroin, for example, within Singapore, um, you get the death penalty. Um, And there's a few minor exceptions, uh, but they're they're trivial. Um, Singapore is extraordinarily hard on selling or possession. Even possession, right? If you even come possession. in with even possession, if you have a, a possession above a certain amount of heroin, and it really is, honestly, I think the the total amount of heroin needed to trigger the death penalty is a little more than one dose. Um, wow. They're they're extremely serious. Other drugs, it's bigger because they they do acknowledge that for things like cannabis, they they want to get the traffickers, not necessarily the users, um, with this kind of punishment. But uh, in general, the I mean, the law, the drug laws in Singapore are extraordinarily strict. Um, and, and they're, they give fair warning to people. Like if you fly a Singapore, you'll be given a card before you even land that says, if you come into the country with drugs, you will get the death penalty.
1: Which, and they would consider that drug trafficking. This is, of course, is, yeah. uh, Brittany. Brittany Griner going into Russia was was considered drug trafficking, even though she had like a couple edibles or something. I forget exactly what it was, but some mm-hmm. it, it, what we would consider in the U.S. minuscule, or in Washington D.C. by the way, is completely legal. Um, you know, anyone can go buy some great movies about this, by the way, because Singapore is not the only country down there in in Southeast Asia that has uh, strict drug laws. They they do have strict enforcement, but uh, Thailand, Malaysia actually have similar laws. Um, you can watch Broke Down Palace with Claire Danes or Return to Paradise. Great Joaquin Phoenix film that actually do deal with a lot of these things. Um, it's just it seems that in the West, we've gotten totally away from that. Now, of course, uh, President Trump's come out a few times and stated that, you know, when it comes to these opium opioid dealers or fentanyl dealers, just straight up death penalty. Right? And, mm-hmm. and we should or the, you know, throw them. Uh, Duterte, of course, did this in the Philippines for a long time and was extremely popular for doing so. So a couple more minutes left. Will, why? and 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 i want to break this down in the next segment but you know why did lee kuan yu decide to take this two-track approach to revamp and revitalize singapore
0: well i think on the one hand he wanted to maintain social cohesion so he didn't want you know a lot of people who were struggling in the in the streets that would you know rise up to his power and remember again how incredibly diverse singapore was um, there had to be some form of social welfare just to ensure you didn't have fat, constant factional strife and, and civil, effectively civil war in such a tiny place. Um, but I think when it comes to why he was so draconian about the drug laws, his, his view is pretty straightforward. Uh, we, and we don't take, him, take it for granted, but you got to think about not just how many lives does a single drug dealer destroy, how many families do they destroy in the act of dealing large amounts of heroin or cocaine. They destroy hundreds of families, hundreds of lives. And so from from the perspective of the Singaporeans, of course, drug dealing should be met with the death penalty. Um, you may not intentionally murder someone in the same way, but you're responsible for so much death, so much sickness, so much harm, um, so much destruction. We, we do, to by people's the way, lives.
1: Th- this, by the way, is why. Uh, Maurice Hall in the George Floyd case refused to take the stand and took the fifth because his lawyer rightfully pointed out that in the state of Minnesota, if you sell someone a lethal dose of fentanyl and it kills them, then you can be liable for third degree murder.
0: Yeah, I mean, as as you should be. Um, and I think that, the you know, Singapore just takes it much more seriously. I think Lee Kuan Yew in a famous interview once said that if we could if we could hang these drug dealers 100 times, we would um, that they take it that seriously. Uh, and, and, and it seems like they have a very good reason to a very good moral reason, um, for saying, sorry, no, 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 this is what you're doing. The activity you're engaged in is causing so much trauma and so much death and destruction that that you need to be stopped. And we need to deter this behavior as much as possible. What you're
1: saying is it's, it's pragmatism, 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 that our values are What works is what we're going to use. We're not necessarily taking this from a holy book or a philosophy book. We're going to use what works. Come back next. Will Chamberlain here, Human Events Sunday Special. And we're back, Will Chamberlain. We're discussing the Singapore option. Now, Will, one thing that I want to to stress, and this is something that I saw getting totally lost in that Twitter debate, is that it's not just harsh on crime policies that made Singapore successful it also was the fact that you're right they dealt with the intercultural strife as best they could right give everyone side of a sort of a way in but then also that they totally superheated their economy and they were considered one of the four asian tigers in the 90s um it was hong kong taiwan south korea and singapore and so this idea of hey how about instead of everybody getting upset that uh, you know that somebody's got more than me, or that this is going on or that's going on. We all just get rich together.
0: Yeah, there's an enormous amount of economic freedom um, and and a, a complete you know a very very serious focus on free trade, getting getting people to come in and, and start up companies there, like inviting foreign corporations in, soliciting them. Um, there was a huge amount of focus on workforce development from the perspective of Lee Kuan Yew. So for example, uh, the, the first language and the national language of Singapore is English. And that did not have to be the case, uh, after the, the United Kingdom left. And I mean, first it was part of the Malaysian Federation and then an, an independent country. There's not a whole bunch of English people, um, of English, of origin from the United Kingdom in Singapore. So that easily could have been, you know, they could have adopted Mandarin as their primary language. They could have adopted Indian or or one of the Indian languages as their their, uh, primary language. But they adopted English because they knew that it would give them an advantage um, in the global marketplace. And so you have a slew of very, very wise and sound policies economically that really made the country very wealthy, rewarded, um, you know, economic industry, kept taxes reasonably low and allowed for you to build, you know, really build Singapore into this economic powerhouse that then when combined with their seriously tough on crime policies has made the place a wonderful place to live. And, and, and that's
1: something that I think we should also get into in the United States. So obviously we have the tension between left and right when it comes to economic policy. Um, I think the right is settling into a place where, okay, we don't want to be full on, um, uh, libs when it comes to oh we're going to just hand out everything and we're going to raise t- carbon credits and somehow that's going to make the planet cooler or stop global warming or mm. whatever but at the same time we're also not going to be full and this is where the new right kind of comes in where we're not going to be uh, President Trump came out, and I've seen a lot of uh, conservatives coming out saying recently about, no, we're not going to go Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney and and shut down or or cut or privatize Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. That we're just not going to touch these things. We're just going to leave them where mm-hmm. they are. Obviously, it, it's it's smart politics, and and I think really that just the country is just not ready for that. Um, I think in in a lot of reasons, and so yeah. finding this better this better middle ground, whereas Romney and and Paul Ryan were trying to go full like um get rid of all the entitlement programs right away, even these ones that people have paid into their entire lives, which I think rightfully so, um made people lose their minds. But at the same time, you are also seeing, you know, uh, conservatives and the new right, I think, and and I just wanted to get into the, the criminal section of it, because it's it's sort of like which which one are we are we the people that are saying that we want to be tough on crime or are we the people who are saying that we support the first step Act? because it seems like we're trying to do both at the same time right now and, and i don't think that makes sense
0: yeah you know i look back at some of my old tweets about the first step Act, and i I'm, i kind of cringe honestly i i i think that they were i ultimately think that was the wrong policy and that we should that we need to be stricter on crime and that we we went in the totally wrong direction um like the problem, as I said before, that there, we do need criminal justice reform in this country. We need more people to go to jail and for the penalties to be more severe. Uh, I mean, you know, whether it's like people not getting severe enough penalties for serious crimes like armed robbery and assault, or whether people aren't getting serious enough punishment for sort of these, you know, crimes of you know, choice and convenience, the sort of protest crimes where people stand in the middle of highways or destroy public patrimony. And throw paint on throw or throw tomato soup on paintings. All that stuff should be punished more heavily. And it's the kind of stuff that Singapore would never tolerate in a million years. I mean, they, again, they would give you a thousand dollar fine for spitting out gum on the sidewalk. Imagine what they'd do if you uh, threw tomato soup on a painting,
1: yeah, there was Helen Andrews in d c was counting fare jumpers. She just went down to the metro and was counting fare jumpers one morning in the d c metro. she counted forty. And uh, mm-hmm. she even asked somebody, she said, well, why do you do this every day? And he said, well, it's, it's cheaper. And, and and someone else said, I, I don't think I've ever paid for the metro in my entire life. Just never done that. And this gets into the broken windows theory. And I've interviewed um, Mayor Giuliani on this. And I've always said that, in you know, in addition to his 9-11 response, it's one of the greatest things he did as mayor was to clean up the city of New York and the broken windows policy, the broken windows theory. To break it down for people, I have um, I have like sort of the, the textbook definition here. That was something that Giuliani put into practice. The broken windows theory stems from the work of two criminologists, George Kelling and James Wilson, who suggested that minor disorder like vandalism acts as a gateway to more serious crime. By focusing on small offenses, often referred to as quality of life crimes, Kelling and Wilson thought violent crime and other undesirable activity would decrease. Well, when Giuliani attempted or enacted this policy, put it into practice, did it work?
0: Yeah, it worked really well. Um, Worked in Singapore when it was done, too. Uh, there's, I Extremely think there's sort of this, successful. yeah, it's wildly successful. And I mean, there, there is sort of a net there are really good reasons to think that there's a causal relationship between punishing low level crime and reducing higher level crime. Um, you end up with nicer places that people are happier to be in. That's a, that's let's start there that seem much safer and cleaner in general. I think people's environment, uh, has some impact on the likelihood that they will want to commit crime in the first place. Um, and then, you know, once you, cre- you also create a culture of ab- you know, abiding by the law and expecting to be punished, even if you break the law in small ways, which leads to further, you know, a kind of culture grows where people just start abiding by, ab- you, know, you know, abiding by the law on their own. And then once you get there, then you get to the situation where you've freed up your police officers to track down serious crime and make sure that gets punished too. Um, but it's the idea here is that, that you shouldn't be letting go of the rope. That you should be punishing these low-level crimes in order to make people understand that this is a place where you're going to be expected to abide by the law, um, and I think I think the idea of a gateway to you know once you start breaking the law, maybe you'll start breaking it in in different ways, or you'll you create a social expectation that breaking the law won't end up getting punished, and I think I think we see that. You look at the places where they talk about oh we need to stop prosecuting these low-level offenses, and they're they're nightmares to live in now, and they're disgusting too. San Francisco, we're
1: we're essentially right to to just to explain for folks what you're saying is that what we've enacted, or the Soros prosecutors, or the woke prosecutors, whatever you call it, we're doing the opposite. We're doing the yeah. exact opposite right now. In you know, I'm from the Philadelphia area. You're originally from the Bay Area, but our home areas, right, and we're hometowns essentially are experimenting with the opposite of this. And it's a free for all. It's a free for all of death and murder and blood uh, of 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 people of children in many cases. And it seems like we're not even allowed to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it creates uh, it creates a really terrible culture. I mean, I think about you know that that store owner who sprayed the homeless woman with water like that that shouldn't happen in the first place. He called the police on that woman twenty times. She was breaking like, the law, but when the police do nothing. You get, not only do you get like increased law ranking, you get vigilantism. I mean, the, the entire point of having a justice, criminal justice system in the first place is to prevent vigilante justice and the sort of, re, you know, vendetta type reciprocal murders. That's 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 how, why justice systems came to be in the first place. One of the things, you know, liberals fail the sort of Chesterton's fence argument where they they destroy something without understanding why it was built in the first place and what problems it solved. Um, What is Chesterton's fence for the audience? So Chesterton had a saying about uh, his fence, or Chesterton had a saying, it went something like this, if you see a fence and you don't know why it was put up, you shouldn't take it down, right? You should be able to answer the question of why it was put up first. Um, And if you don't have a good answer to that, then... That you don't understand the the problem it's solving. It's a good border so, policy, too, by the way. Yeah, it's good border policy, right? You shouldn't shouldn't cool. take down fences unless you fully it's thoroughly also, understand why they were put you know, up. In to the get first
1: into list. your to get into that further, it's by the way, you know, there's somebody else who who understood this same issue, and that person was Karl Marx. Because mm-hmm. if you actually read uh, Marx's theory, that it 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 isn't he doesn't just believe in the you know bourgeois and the proletariat, because he also understood something called the lumpen proletariat known as, you know, I, I would say in English, the criminal class, that there are groups of people who could essentially be just, just geared towards criminal activity or, uh, for a variety of reasons, or right? you're always going to have criminals in any society. We just know that, um, we can get yeah. into the issues why, but also the meager issue, I think is that if you're catching those criminals, when they're committing the minor crimes, if you've Uh, caught the person who is dealing drugs at 14, then maybe they won't become a high level drug dealer at 16. If you've caught them when they're smashing windows, when they're doing vandalism, we've seen this time and time again. And any criminologist will show you that no one starts out uh, with, with, you know, no serial killer starts out with serial killing. They start out with smaller uh, and they move their way up through the spectrum of this, the broken windows policy. Guess what? It catches that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does a a lot of good. It helps with rehabilitation, as you say. Um, It helps with deterrence. Uh, I mean, one of the things, there's a criminologist, I think there was a study in Hawaii where they were looking at how to ensure that um, people comply with a drunk driving program. And essentially, one of the ways they did it is they made people, they had a system that wasn't super punitive necessarily, but was almost always enforced, right? There was never any getting out of it um and so you could you just people knew that if they didn't show up on you know to for their uh, alcohol test if they didn't do something police would be there within hours and they would be taken away and that was different from other places that didn't have as consistent enforcement and that was what you know that was what was really necessary for something like that you need you need you need punitive laws that effectively deter the behavior and you need you need consistency of enforcement for illegal behavior too
1: now you certainly need consistency of behavior and we're coming up on our second break right here. But on the next one, I want to get into this question of what is the best punishment for crime? Are prisons what we need for what we need Should we have more prisons? Should we have less prisons? Why do we have prisons? Where did prisons come from? Where did this idea come from that if you do if you commit crimes against society that you have to go sit in a room for a certain period of time? Uh, We're going to get into that because what's interesting for people that they may not understand is that the history of prisons isn't quite as old as they might think. Coming right back, Will Chamberlain here, Human Events Sunday special. And we're back here, Human Events Sunday special with Will Chamberlain. Will, did you know that they censored Aladdin? Remember Aladdin, the movie, the Disney movie? When I, we were kids? I
0: watched Aladdin all the time. I used to watch, that used to be the movie that I would annoy my parents by watching over and over and over again when I was so like six years old. So I'm sure you
1: old. remember, you remember the line um, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. Is one oh. of the, the original songs, the traitor who ended up yeah. being at the end or whatever is, is singing that song. You know, that line was changed. It was, Uh, why is that? It it was, and then they say it's, it's barbaric, but Hey, it's home. Um, so this line was considered racist even in the 1990s by 90 standards, sort of like when America had our first dabble with political correctness and like the OJ case came up, um, which was the first time America just decided to let someone off of, uh, off from, from punishment for murder because of the color of the skin and because he was famous um mm. that they changed it to it's it's hot and intense rather mm. the land is flat and in, hot and intense it's barbaric but there are tones of course the line doesn't make any sense and then the will smith version it's further changed for 2019 and they also took away the line of when I actually i don't know why i went down this rabbit hole but i absolutely had to um because it's like wait a minute this was in like an aladdin movie right if you know, when he says i'll have your hand street rat you know, and it's the great mm-hmm. voice actor, Jim Cummings, who's screaming that because he's referring to the practice of chopping a thief's handoff. Um, that line is totally gone from the Will Smith version that came out in 2019. Just gone completely.
0: Mm-hmm. That's and, too bad.
1: And it, it is too bad. And so when I wanted to mention the the history of prisons, because mm-hmm. I found an interesting and <laughs> an interesting article uh, about this when I was just doing research and 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 show prep for this. And, and that article was called in defense of flogging and, and it said, and, and, and to go through, it was, it was written by, by a prison reformer, a guy who had been a former police officer in the city of Baltimore, which, you know, just a, a paragon of safety and peace, Baltimore. Um, you know, if anyone's seen the wire, we just know how, how wonderful and, and utopian, I mean, you know, Baltimore is probably the American city that's closest to Singapore, as far as I'm concerned. And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very sick sarcasm there Um, that he writes. So here's what's interesting. He writes that it was the progressive reformers of the past two centuries are responsible for the fact that we have the prison system today. And the prison system originally came about in the 1800s, early 1800s, around this idea of. They are penitentiaries and reformatories, one of the reasons for this. Uh, Michel Foucault, of course, is a huge proponent of of this type of the, the rehabilitative act. And it's a very progressive um, idea that you can take someone and rehabilitate them through, through prison, through the use of of holding someone in a cell for an indefinite period of time, or or even a definite period of time, that you will somehow change their nature. And he writes... He goes this in the this in the uh, Chronicle of Higher Learning prisons today have all but abandoned rehabilitative ideals, which isn't such a bad thing if one sees the notion as nothing more than paternalistic hogwash. And he wrote, he then wrote, for those who are who are opposed to the penitentiary system, all that's left then is punishment. And we certainly could punish in a way that is much cheaper, honest and even more humane.
0: We could flog. We That's an amazing article. I think I think he's onto something there. You know, there are a lot of different purposes to punishment. Um, and there's deterrence, the idea of deterring other people from committing crimes. Uh, there's re- there's a in- incapacitation, namely just taking someone who's just can't help but engage in criminal activity and keeping them away from the public. Um, there's about a statement of values about the value of victims and the rights of victims. Because you know, if a victim's life is taken away, it's not, you're almost saying as a society that that life wasn't meaningful if you don't inflict severe punishment on the perpetrator. And then there's rehabilitation. And it really is like the least important thing when it comes to criminal justice. Criminal justice isn't for the good of the criminal. Criminal justice is for the rest of us. Yes. And rehabilitation is something that you sort of, you know, maybe it's something you add on at the end. And it's like, you know, if the other goals are being met, then sure, help rehabilitate people who are going to get out of jail. That's, Again, probably good for the rest of us. But that's not the focus. That's not why we have the jails in the first place. They're not, you know, these aren't therapy sessions. Um, They're places to incapacitate you and deter others from committing crime.
1: Right, and so what people need to understand is that the current system of the of penitentiaries that we have today—it's only been around for about two hundred years. Uh, for mm-hmm. thousands of years, that, and everyone can say, well, "Wait a minute! I've I've seen you know Game of Thrones, and I've I've seen old old books, and they all talk about dungeons and people being held down there, et cetera, et cetera." Well, the dungeon, or which of course comes from from French word for keep, uh, which which is also the same word as a tower you'll be locked in the tower, you know, the tower of London, et cetera, that, uh, we all know what the tower of London was about. And most people didn't <laughs> stay there for far too long. Um, especially those princes, um, that if you were awaiting trial or you had finished trial and you're awaiting your punishment, then you were held in the jail or the gaol. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not, a, there was no sense that you would be held there for an indefinite period of time uh, or that would be your punishment. It's that you were you were there while you were waiting for your punishment to begin or while you were, you know, that logistically needed a place to hold somebody where they couldn't run away to escape trial. That was the whole point. But it's only about 200 years ago, which in, in terms of human history isn't that long, that they came up with this new idea that what if we take away these, this idea of punishment what if we take away which which prior to that uh, forced labor? I mean, forced labor goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Rome, they used forced labor. I mean, build the aqueduct, build the road. You know, you always need someone to do that. Um, you know, paying your debts, uh, transport, of course, which, of course, is as goes back to the the founding of Australia, Botany Bay. Uh, punishment by transportation was uh, huge in the British Empire because, well, we have colonies that need building and you're going to be sent down to build those colonies. building colony sucks and (laughs) it's hard work and nobody likes it um Mm -hmm. you you hear the the it's kind of that's another debate on twitter right now the ruralist debate and say well just you know, just go, go live on a homestead and be a peasant. I said, why are you glorifying the peasant lifestyle? That sounds awful. You know, and uh, you know, there's a reason we have society the way we do today. And we've, we've built upon it. We're trying to fix society. We're not necessarily trying to return to peasantry and, and husbandry and and, and hunter gathering that, that not that I've anything against hunter gathering, uh, by all means. <laughs> but, but, you know, if, you I was know, about I, to go
0: hunt somebody on the streets of Arlington. I was looking for a deer. You know, go for but it. I don't man. know. Clarendon doesn't really have many deer. It's too bad. No, not really. No, but you know we have this nice thing called supermarkets.
1: Um, oh. Yeah, but hey, venison, good, excellent. But so it's it's inc- so the, the first state prison in England was Millbank Prison. It was only opened in 1816. And mm-hmm. Prison. The prison system is not old. It's not old no. at all. And so the question I would have is, you know, and let's go back to Michael Fay and let's go back to Singapore because that's the overall discussion here. Is would you or could you even think of anyone? Who, if they were offered the chance between, so he got four lashes, right? He was sentenced to to six. He ended up getting four. Would you take four lashes or would you rather sit in prison for four years? Four years of your You're life. Right. I
0: mean, I think any criminal and any person would rather take the lashes, right? You don't want to lose four years of your life. Um, I think what Singapore gets right is interesting. Is it's not an they don't see it as an either or though. They do both, right? And they're and both have different aspects of. Effect in on the potential criminal, right? Like maybe some criminals aren't that scared of prison, or they, you know, say, okay, whatever the risk of prison isn't that bad, but they're particularly scared of cap- corporal punishment, um, or vice versa. So they just they don't, you know. I think what Singapore gets right is they do both. They they do both, and and it's and it's good and just to do both. It's it's the right thing to to punish truly awful behavior. Um, it's not you know it's not beyond the pale to say to use as the Singaporeans do caning
1: and and that that is an interesting piece for us that we as a society, when we do talk about this and then the fact that America has got we've got more people in prison right now than we have in our entire uh, military. And so mm-hmm. my question is, is this something where where the right and the left could actually come together a little bit to say, yeah, you know what it, it is kind of silly that we're just shoving people in prison, assuming that's going to help?" And by the way, I, i've I, I know people. i've and you can read studies about this where, uh, people have said that, you know, hitting rock bottom, uh, getting that, you know, scared straight, uh, experience is actually quite useful for them to say, you know what? Yeah, I had my brush with, with that. And I definitely don't want any more of that whatsoever. And so the question though is, so it works for some people certainly, but what about people who are repeat offenders who don't have anything left to lose? I mean, what, what really is prison for them? Then you also have the problem of, um, who's the guy in, a, you know, uh, uh, in Shawshank, he, you know, he comes out after being spending entire his entire adult life in prison, then he commits suicide, because he he doesn't know how to live outside an institution.
0: Yeah, and in a way, prison is is a way to sort of take criminal justice and put it out of sight, out of mind. Uh, it's a way to make it something we don't think about and see compared to, you know, other forms of punishment. I think that the analog is to capital punishment, where we where we use things like lethal injection to sort of medicalize um, capital punishment when it's when it's an execution. And I think there Alex Kaczynski, Judge Alex Kaczynski in California, um, you know, he he long he's a very a libertarian and, and definitely not somebody who was just a, a reflexive authoritarian by any means. But he said we, we should go back to firing squads. Um, they're more humane because it happens quicker. There aren't any mess ups and they don't, they stop us from pretending that what we're doing isn't capital punishment. And I think the, the analog here is, uh, when you're, we shouldn't pretend that criminal pun- criminal justice isn't really criminal justice and that we're better than caning and that that's somehow less humane or more humane than, in, you know, in putting somebody in a, in a cell for 30 years.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think it's humane at all. And it, it it maybe it makes us feel better. Maybe it makes people say, Oh, I'm not sure. You know, I hear people I hear other people say, like, oh, the, the you know, life sentence is worse than death penalty. And I, I don't think so. I certainly don't think so at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I think the death penalty is definitely worse. That's why people are against it. <laughs> you know, that's why that's why yeah. the reformers hate it so much. Um but this, you know, three hots and a cot for the rest of your life, that's not bad for some people, depending on where they're coming from. So that is something that I'd like to get back into. And and we're talking about corporal punishment in general, as well as other forms of punishment that aren't necessarily prison, which is what Singapore is doing. They're saying, look, we're you, you have broken our laws. You've broken our trust. You've acted in willful defiance of our system and our system matters. And Mm -hmm. if you have done so, we are going to correct you. We are going to correct you in a way that's going to make sure to get it across. And by the way, we don't spank in our house for my two boys. You know, we don't spank at all. But you know what? We, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, for adults, maybe they what? What they need is a good adult form of spanking through a, a flogging or a caning. And because in Singapore, guess what? It works. But in the next segment, I want to get into that thorny question of the death penalty. And we're back here at Human Events. Now, Will, I'd like to read a quote for you from one of the 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 great death penalty advocates in in the world and that of course is Pope Pius XII of the Catholic Church say, Whoa, wait a minute. I thought the Catholic Church was against the death penalty. Well, Pope Francis is against the death penalty, but prior to that, there's a little something called the entire history of the Catholic Church. And it's I think it would be it would be kind of silly if you know anything about the history of the Catholic Church to say that the church has always been against the death penalty. When I, I can point to a lot of instances where that's just quite not the case. Um, but here's, but, but the church has always stated, and this, this is something that I will be serious about that, that, that is up to the state, that it's always been up to the state. And here's what Pope Pius says about this. He says, even in the case of the death penalty, the state does not dispose the individual's right to life. Rather public authority limits itself to depriving the offender of the good of life in expiation for his guilt. After he, through his crime, deprived himself of his own right to life, will unpack that for us. What does that mean?
0: Well, I mean, it it means that you know the the idea that it's like somehow an immoral or unlawful killing is just wrong. I think that you know people often say, at least to Catholics. That it's like, oh, you're pro-life. Well, then you can't be for the death penalty then. It's like, no, the, the death penalty is, is appropriate in certain circumstances because it's about respecting the fact that, you know, they have violated someone else. Generally, it's because somebody killed someone um, or they did something so against the moral order that it was responsible for other people's death. So it's the idea that you have violated, you know, God's law. Um, you've deprived yourself of your own right to life. And, and that's the, the state is just ensuring that you don't get something you don't deserve.
1: I've seen you uh, you use on Twitter, and I've definitely adopted it. But all credit to where it's due that you've used on Twitter that the death penalty is pro-life.
0: Yeah, I think I think the death penalty. Yeah, the death penalty is pro-life. I think there's a, a great, another borrowing from Kaczynski again when he talked about um, that he had a, something very very interesting to say about the death penalty, which is that you know people say it's like oh how could you that's so inhumane, and it's like if you actually read. The briefing he says like you could hear the the piercing cries of the victims in between the lines of the dry legal text like what the cases where the death penalty is brought up you know involves such incredibly appalling and horrifying behavior that it's like there's no other there's no no other worthy punishment and um and by the way
1: we're talking about horrific rapes we're talking about uh the violation of young children we're talking mm-hmm. about um, just, just cold blooded murders in many, many instances. Um, and, and, and by the way, Will, let's, let's know. Will is a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, walk me through a little bit, you know, the, the question of well, what, what about when the state gets it wrong? So, and I, I always hear that argument come up. What about when the state gets it wrong? What about DNA? What about when people are exonerated? You know, did these people get a chance, uh, in modern society to have a, an appeal? Do they have other people look at it? What's, what's going on with all that?
0: I mean, I think in the modern world with the current technology we have, um, it's now, so I'm sure absolutely people should have access to DNA evidence to prove their innocence or to overturn prior convictions that may have been wrongful, but that doesn't mean that the death penalty isn't still called for when somebody is clearly guilty of the crime. That's kind of a double short, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yes, it means that it, on occasion the state will execute someone that is innocent. I mean, it, you know, but that's I mean, I, I don't think that's an indictment of every form oh. of criminal justice that there is. I mean, it's basically saying any, you know, there's always the possibility of wrongful punishment when you're running. criminal justice. I guess the thing is that,
1: um, is that with the technology that we have, that everyone should have access to it to prove their innocence. But the state also has greater access to highly advanced technology to prove guilt. And that is the type of evidence that comes out on appeal after appeal in court after court after court that in even in our system, we don't, you know, and I think we all know this, that because we don't really even in states with the death penalty in the United States, I I suppose, with the exception of Texas, even though Texas has gotten a little wobbly on this, if you look at the Rodney Reed case, um, which I've been covering for years. Um, where it's a guy that I mean, they got him dead to rights. they've got they've got semen, they've got blood. they've got saliva. They've got everything. And yet they keep trying, and Kim Kardashian gets involved to uh, find a way to, you know, to to get this guy off. Meanwhile, these they've just got him
0: dead to rights, yeah. Um, that's I think that's actually the I mean, if anything, the the problem with our our system is that it's it's a little bit too. There's a little bit too many opportunities for appeal and and as a result the the process for getting through and death penalty law has been made very convoluted by the supreme court um and as a result you end up with people on death row for something like 30 years and that's not justice for the victims uh and also those extraordinarily expensive and and arbitrary and it, it also leads to very perverse outcomes where it's like it really does suddenly depend on the quality of your legal counsel whether or not they actually go through the conviction Because if you have quality legal counsel, you can just delay, 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 delay and avoid it. So that's not just on an economic grounds either. So there's there's all sorts of problems with the way our system works in 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 reality. But I think people, you know, liberals often use the troubles, the difficulties of our legal system in reality to make objections to the death penalty in total. And I don't think they undermine the basic moral case for the death penalty, which I feel is fairly fairly strong.
1: Well, and, and it's amazing, too, because you also see these cases like Rodney Reed that Kim Kardashian took up and she championed for years until I got involved. Now you notice that she's completely shut up about it. And he's by the way, he's lost his appeals, um, mm-hmm. all of them. And, and in fact, when uh, in, in cases where they've gone and done the testing, um, like Julius Jones or some others that Kardashian has been involved in, the testing always comes back and only further incriminates the hmm. the person who was convicted. Uh, you, you've also got a case that she's turned into a Spotify podcast now called Kevin Keith, where the you know, this is like this huge thing, massive push behind this corporate push. And yet the victims, Some of the surviving victims of that case have never come out and recanted anything they've said. And they've said, no, the justice system got this right. Uh, In the Rodney Reed case, the family has always said that, no, they've got this exactly right. Uh, Our court system does have this incredible appeals process that you go through. So for for any instance where people say that the death penalty isn't necessarily a deterrent, I think that that's only because our justice system is so incredibly porous that we're not actually applying any of these things the way they're intended to be.
0: Indeed. I mean, I've actually been reading about criminal justice, it seems as though the primary deterrent is that death row is just is such a worse form of imprisonment in the sense of the way you're treated by prison guards on death row and the type of amenities you get as a prisoner are much, much, much worse And so that that almost is the deterrent. It's like almost you you don't have to you don't expect to be executed. You expect to have a much worse experience when you are in prison. Um, That's not quite what we're going for. I think I think the idea of the death penalty is that some crimes deserve the ultimate punishment. And we're not really getting that out of our current system.
1: Well, and it's and it is about respect for the society. And as you said, the respect for the life of the individual who was either, I mean, there's this case, this horrific case that Mia Cahill over at Town Hall has been discussing in and, and reporting on and really revealing down in Atlanta, Georgia, where two pedophiles were able to adopt two boys and mm-hmm. uh, repeatedly raped them over a period of several years and were pimping them out on Snapchat and, and other uh, internet functions. And I, I, I look at that and I just say, Death penalty. Just just death penalty.
0: I, yeah, I don't even that's want to horrifying. have about it. You know, that's what that's what it exists for. Horrifying crimes like these, the sexual abuse of children. Like, no, we don't tolerate that in our society, period. And stop. You do that, you die. That's the proper attitude to have. Um, and yeah, it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And the victims are, you know, the criminal defendants are entitled to due process. All that is still true. But after the due process has been had, it's you know, th- this is something we shouldn't tolerate at all. A due and, process is not endless process. Right. And, and I, you know, criminal justice reformers are saying, oh, man, the, the punishments are just too draconian. It's like, no, they are not. They need to be more draconian. You're not talking to anybody outside of your little bubble. Way,
1: those those by the way, those those child rapists down in Georgia, uh, you know, they have iPads right now while they're in prison. Yeah. They have iPads that are hooked up to the Internet. Yeah. These, this is the level of our prisons. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. The, these are like country clubs. club.
0: Uh, that, yeah. Want, I mean. They haven't been convicted, so I can sort of see their argument like, well, we haven't been convicted yet. So because the purpose of imprisonment before judgment is to, you know, incapacitate, just prevent you from doing anything in the short term because we think you're dangerous to the public. But, you know, I think, you know, hopefully those get taken away.
1: (laughs) So I haven't mentioned it much here, but my. um my prison experience was spending a year deployed at Guantanamo Bay. So I've been mm-hmm. inside the Guantanamo Bay detention facility. I've interacted with detainees, uh, when there were, there were almost 200 detainees when I was there 2012, 2013, um, under the Obama administration. And, uh, it was fine. It was totally yeah. fine. There's these stories about torture and these stories about, um, uh, you know, the, calling calling enteral feeding torture, by the way, which is when they you know, they when when people go on a hunger strike and President Obama ordered us to not allow the prisoners to or the detainees to kill themselves. So what the medics would do and I got to see one of these, what the medics would mm-hmm. do was place a, a catheter sort of like a, a lubricated catheter down the, the nose through the throat into the stomach, and then and basically take you know those like ensure um like the protein shakes and then just pour that down. And this is a basic medical procedure that's done to accident victims in the United States, you know, car accidents, trauma, people going through surgery, um every single day. and they they turned around and called that torture. Um, they go after DeSantis for this a lot, by the way, because he was a JAG, um, who was stationed down there at one point as a lawyer, you know, you know, in all of this, but, you know, I'm I'm sitting there looking at it and say, this is a medical procedure. It's not torture at all. None
0: of these things are torture. Um, yeah. Like fact, why are you, why I, are you entitled to the right to hunger, strike right. yourself to death while you're in prison? We don't, Thank we you. don't agree with that as a society. Why?
1: Like, right. And, and, and when it comes to those guys, by the way, you know, there were some, as an intelligence officer, of course, I, I did certainly enjoy the perspective of, being able to, to have them available for interrogation and intelligence collection. But then again, prisoners of war are slightly different than, you know, a domestic prisoner.
0: Um, sure. That, that but you I mean the argument for a domestic prisoner, like say a domestic prisoner goes on a hundred strike, you know, does he, does he have the right to, that, that argument would ultimately justify like applauding the prison guards who allowed just Jeffrey Epstein to kill himself, for right? Exactly. Like, you know that's that's thank you for surfing
1: for surfing ebay and not uh, not fixing the cameras thank you so much right
0: yeah good good for letting him kill himself he had the right to do what he wanted with his own life no wrong he did not he had forfeited that right he needed he needed to face justice
1: well i do Um, think though that and as as we're about to wind down here i do think that this is it's a hot debate i think that as the new right is kind of defining what it is and what it stands for and what it doesn't stand for i think this is really something where the reformers, the criminal reformers, the just us reformers and the Kim Kardashian types of the world. You're just losing because we're trying yeah. to, and it ain't working and people are dying. And if, if, if one thing, if you're violent, definitely get you off the streets. But another thing, if we're going to talk about the prison issues, we need to bring back a little something called corporal punishment. Will Chamberlain, where can people find you?
0: Uh, I am online on Twitter, primarily at Will Chamberlain on Twitter. All right, I
1: will chamberlain on on Twitter, former colleague here at Human Events and the senior counsel at the Internet Accountability Project. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.